Well, uh, this series which we have been on is about life, specifically what is it all about, and we'll be on it for tonight and a couple more Wednesday nights, and then we're going to start a new series, Lord willing, uh, April 29th, Life Lessons from the Holy Land. Uh, we're going to go to the Holy Land uh, by video and still photography, and we're going to try to extract from the geography of the land some practical principles which uh, all of us could live by. So that will be April 29th. Tonight, let's take this topic one step further. Solomon has. It's his excursion, which we have been observing. He diligently applied himself to come up with a satisfying answer to the question of the purpose of life. And he denied himself nothing in his quest. And so he experienced, as you recall, unbridled pleasures, thinking this kind of activity could fill the void within. Well, it didn't. And he gave himself to building projects to make a contribution uh, in society, to make his deposit, and thus, I suppose, justify his existence. But that left him empty as well. And then he gave himself to the wild, mad accumulation of possessions. And he had almost unlimited resources with which to do so. And, and he found out that there was a grievous task to do that. I mean, one poor financial decision, one downturn in the economy, Solomon uh, in his own words would say, could cause uh, one's resources to be uh, significantly diminished to such extent that there isn't even anything left to provide for one's family. And so what does he do now? He's been overcome by the futility, hence the sign of life, the emptiness, the vanity of it all, lived under the sun. That is to say, without any awareness of realities behind the scene, if one has no awareness of the vertical dimension, if one doesn't know about spiritual truths and about eternity and about a God who is there and who came into our space-time dimension so as to give us a reason to be, if one doesn't know about all that, then one is living life under the sun, trapped in this system called life, called earth. And to that extent, Solomon said, to try to find meaning is getting for him to be uh, an exercise in futility. He likened it to chasing wind. Good luck. It's not real. You try to attach yourself to it and poof, it vanishes. So he decided after his previous attempts at meaning have left him empty, he decided to try fame, high position. I suppose he thought if he could attain to some, oh, let's say some sort of celebrity status, if he was popular, uh, then maybe he would feel sufficiently good about himself to give him a reason to get out of bed in the morning and to live life. And so... He wondered if, in fact, fame was the answer. And so that's exactly what he sought, and that's exactly what he remarkably achieved. In fact, here's what he said. These are his words. He said, Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. 
We can't say that Solomon is in despair because he failed at what he was doing. On the contrary, he succeeded. His life was not a mediocre one. History tells us, in fact, that he was at the top of it all. He succeeded, and yet he still uh, felt bottomed out. He didn't know exactly what to do. He tasted success and fame and popularity and indeed celebrity status, but this was all external stuff. Uh, the internal environment, if he were to be honest, uh, he would say, is empty. I'm, he would say he's depressed is what he would say, I think. Emptiness remained on the inside. And so he had this desire for recognition and for popularity, and he succeeded at it. He attained to it. And when he did, he found out, he discovered what many other famous people who make it to the top discover. It's this. It can really be lonely at the top. And here's why. In order for most to make it to the top, by definition, you have to separate yourself from others who are competing for the position. And so you have to cease seeing people as potential companions uh, to whom you uh, desire to draw near. Instead, you have to see them as potential competitors who are to be kept down and put down so that you could, perhaps even on their backs and misfortune, you could make it to the top position before they. And so if you succeed, by definition, you have separated yourself from all others. And that kind of relational separation and Distance is intense loneliness, and hence, many people, famous people since Solomon, if they were to be honest, would say, it's really lonely and empty at the top. Well, if this is in fact the case, why is it that so many seek after it, seek after celebrity, seek after fame? Are you aware of the fact that each of us has a kind of inherent, inborn, uh, perhaps even God-given need to be known? Did you know that? You see it. A baby wants to be known. An adolescent wants to be known. A young adult, a senior adult wants to be known, wants to be recognized. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not based on sin. I think God put it in us to be known, to be recognized, to have someone give us their attention, it's very legitimate. But if one tries to have those legitimate needs for recognition met uh, by bypassing God, then one cannot have those needs met except in one's own, one's own efforts, and hence that's the reason why so many have this insatiable appetite for fame. The legitimate need for recognition has not been met legitimately in a relationship with the giver of life. And so you have to try to meet your own needs. And so many people pursuing after fame do so in an attempt to satisfy what we could call recognition hunger. Recognition hunger. Babies have it. Everyone has it. To be touched uh, to be hugged, to be looked to. Everyone needs to receive a word, a look, and a touch, as we're invited to do around here. And if the need is not met, you have to have the need met somehow. And so there's this astounding appetite in the lives of so many to 
Well, be treated like a celebrity. Have you heard of the Pew Research Center? They did this study and wrote a report about it in which they concluded that being famous, becoming famous is the primary life goal for 51% of 18 to 25-year-olds. Being famous is the primary life goal for 51% of people within that age bracket, 18 to 25. I just want to be famous. In fact, I explored some teen websites uh, in preparation for uh, tonight's message and also uh, just to have some fun. And, um, and, and I did. So here's what I found on this teen. It's kind of a adv- teen advice website. Uh, this young gal writes in, uh, here's a quote, I want to be famous. I'm not sure what my talent is, but I really want to give it a try. Any tips for getting things started? Well, I found this to be quite amazing because here's a young person who knows she has an interest in being famous. That's her life goal. She wants to be famous. The fact that she uh, cannot identify her talent and, and perhaps has none um, it seems to be irrelevant. You know, she's right. You do not have to have really much going for you in order to be famous. I can prove it to you in two words. Paris Hilton. <laughs> Could you please tell me what this lady is famous for? What did she do? What has she accomplished? Tell me. I'm looking. I'm checking it out. Nothing. And so all of her peers, those who aspire to be like her, uh, who see her as a model of how to be famous, realize she's not bringing anything to the table. Apparently, I don't have to either. All I have to do is get on a reality TV show, and I could be famous. And, And so there's nothing wrong with being famous for one's accomplishment and one's achievement of a positive kind, one worked hard, one, went, one wants to improve society, one achieves a level of popularity and fame for it. But, but this young girl, no, no, I don't know what I have going for me and it's irrelevant. I just want you to tell me, how, can you give me tips for getting famous? That's all. See, so fame, being famous, has become, with many, an end in itself. So the pursuit of fame, the cult of celebrity has really taken over many. And in fact, it seemed to be the answer. Solomon was looking for this as an answer to what was lacking on the inside. On another teen site, a young person emailed in, I really want to become famous like I don't know why, but I really, really do. Is there any way I could become real famous real fast? You see, I don't want to be famous by preparing, by planning, by becoming equipped. I just want the quick road to fame. I just want to be, why would someone be so motivated to seek fame? Why would so many like these young people crave fame? I think the answer is this. Those who hunger for recognition have not, uh, those whose hunger for recognition has not been legitimately satisfied will chase after it later. If one has felt recognition deficit early on in life for whatever reason, 
one will do whatever one could to satisfy the need later on in life. This explains to me why, why even infamy is a positive goal to be sought rather than lack of recognition. And so some will commit dastardly deeds in order to make their name popular because some recognition, even though it be negative, is better than no recognition at all. And so the pursuit of fame, I think, is almost epidemic in our society today. Becoming famous, you see, many believe, is the way to get the attention and the love so many have not gotten early on in life. Well, folks, the legitimate need for loving recognition and attention went unmet in the life of someone you are very familiar with. Her name was Marilyn Monroe. And it put her on a tragic course of fame-seeking in order to fill the void in her life. Uh, you know she was found dead. Uh, it was on August 5th, 1962, uh, from an apparent drug overdose at her uh, Brentwood, California home. Her tragic life and death, you see, was a testimony to the futility of fame, the futility of it. Solomon knew it. Uh, Marilyn Monroe didn't know of it. She was born Norma Jean Mortensen on June 1st, 1926. Her mother's name was Gladys. Her father was listed on the hospital record as unknown her mother had severe psychiatric problems and spent a good deal of her life in and out of psychiatric treatment facilities. And as a result, uh, the daughter was separated from the mother to such extent uh, that the daughter, who came to be Marilyn Monroe, was raised in many foster homes and even orphanages. She longed for something more. She had legitimate needs which went unmet and she longed for satisfaction of those needs, for affection and for affirmation and for uh, healthy attention and recognition. In fact, she said, I want to be a big star more than anything. It is something precious. The pursuit of fame. And she, as you know, succeeded at it. She became one of the biggest celebrities the world has ever known. She made 30 movies in the course of her tragically short career and became perhaps the most recognizable uh, person in the entire world. But her life was spent in sheer and utter meaninglessness, a vain, futile pursuit of fame which left her astoundingly lonely and empty, more lonely and empty in fact, than ever before. And so there were three divorces and there were countless affairs, as some of them uh, made quite public, uh, drug addictions and uh, a career in major decline and then coming to a tragic end at the young age of 35. She once said, Hollywood is a place where they'll pay you $1,000 for a kiss and 50 cents for your soul. But God Almighty spent the blood of his son to purchase our souls. There is a way for recognition, hunger to be satisfied. 
So the mad, futile pursuit of fame need not characterize us. Doesn't your heart break for someone like this lady with so much potential and created in the image of God who sought for recognition and attention and affection in all the wrong places? Solomon said that the pursuit of fame is a means to satisfy deep inner needs apart from God is like chasing the wind. And with regard to his own quest for fame, he posed this rhetorical question. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Is it wrong to have goals and to exert diligent effort at accomplishing them? Of course not. Not at all. That's not what we're saying. All we are saying is that the pursuit of fame as an end in itself and as a means of satisfying the needs of the soul is an exercise in futility. Only God can fill the God-shaped void within. No fame can do it. Apart from the giver of life who alone can give our lives meaning, we all grow to feel as if something is missing, and it is. And so for many of us seeking a God substitute, it is fame-seeking which becomes our idol. If only I can be famous, think many, then I won't any longer feel so empty and so inadequate. And yet, folks, this seems not to be the case. In fact, many who have sought and achieved fame feel more empty and inadequate than ever. Why is this? Think about it. Fame enhances one's consciousness of self. You stand before adoring crowds and autograph seekers and people beckoning for your attention and paparazzi and all the rest who see you up on a pedestal. And it forces you to think about their evaluation of you and you realize you're not at all who they th think you are. And the discrepancy between their misperception of you and what you know to be true of you becomes wider and wider a gulf which cannot be bridged. And so self-doubt, which may have existed before the fame, is only enhanced thereafter. There was a man, is a man, a researcher named Dr. Mark Schaller of the University of British Columbia who examined the works of songwriters Kurt Cobain and Cole Porter, these are songwriters in different generations, and writer John Cheever. And he, in his research, took note of the number of times they'd made reference, reference to the word I, the first person, I, I, I. And he noticed in his research that each of these three increased the rate of self-reference, I, 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 after they became famous. And interestingly, 
whenever they were uh, given some award or put on TV and given some accolade, then the number of self-references, I, 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 increased even more. Don't you see the spotlight illuminated a sense of self-consciousness that they already were struggling with and now they had an enhanced sense of inadequacy. And so Dr. Schaller observed that the constant attention by media and fans creates in the lives of so many famous people a kind of, this is what he called it, an imposter syndrome. You know you're an imposter. You're not the one they think you are. All of your adoring fans don't really know what you're made of. You know what you're made of. Now you're in trouble. You can't let your guard down lest they know who in fact you are and cease to be your admirers. And so this enhanced sense of painful uh, self-consciousness creates, it seems, an agony in the lives of many famous people, which puts them on the run to resolve the discomfort by making recourse to alcohol or drugs or unbridled sex. And so many famous people have gone that way. Cole Porter, John Cheever were both alcoholics, and Kurt Cobain, some of you know Kurt Cobain, he was the leader of the band Nirvana. Uh, he was addicted to heroin and ultimately killed himself with a shotgun. I is not good enough. Accolades can't fill the void. It doesn't work. We would like to think that those we choose as our celebrities, particularly the Hollywood crowd, but all famous people who we admire, we would like to think of them as fulfilled and deeply satisfied people who are high on life. And yet the opposite seems in most cases to be true. You see, the pressure of adoring fans, imagining them to be of superheroic proportions, makes you feel the weight of keeping up this image uh, too heavy to bear. And so this is what happens to so many famous people. Elvis Presley died of a heart attack and the effects of his drug addiction, did he not, at age 42? Author F. Scott Fitzgerald died of a heart attack and alcoholism at the age of 44. Actress Judy Garland died of a drug overdose at the age of 47. Singer Janis Joplin died of a drug and alcohol abuse problem at the age of 27. Uh, a musician, rock musician, Jim Morrison of The Doors, they were popular in my day, died of a heart attack and drug overdose at the age of 27. Comedian who made us laugh, apparently was crying on the inside, Chris Farley. He died of a heart attack in a drug overdose at the age of 33. Singer Karen Carpenter died of a heart attack in anorexia at the age of 32. Country singer Hank Williams died of a heart attack in drug and alcohol abuse at the age of 29. Comedian John Belushi died of a drug overdose at the age of 33. Actor River Phoenix died of a drug overdose at the age of 
23. Writer Edgar Allan Poe died of a heart attack and alcohol abuse at the age of 40. Superman knew that was a lie. He wasn't super at all. He was aching. George Reeves committed suicide at the age of 45 years old. Folk singer Phil Oakes committed suicide at 35. Model Anna Nicole Smith died of a drug overdose at the age of 39. Writer, famous author Ernest Hemingway committed suicide at the age of 61. Poet Dylan Thomas died from alcohol overdose at the age of 40. Painter Vincent Van Gogh, intensely talented and gifted, committed suicide at the age of 37. I don't share all that with you to depress and discourage you. I do it in order to provide evidence that fame cannot satisfy the deeper needs of one's soul. I just submitted the evidence. I rest my case. Fame is the state of being well known or much talked about. Fame, however in the eyes of other people, will simply not satisfy. But I know it will. What will satisfy is to be known personally and by name by God. Psalm 139. Get this. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Known by the creator of the universe. Picked out of the crowd. Not lost in the shuffle. Oh Lord, thou hast searched, examined, scrutinized attended to thou hast known me you know God knows when I sit down and when I rise up even the mundane things of my life when I begin a day when I end a day when I go from point A to point B when I sit down when I rise you know this you understand my thought from afar. God not only knows what I say, God knows what I think before I say it. And though he be above the sun, far off, his knowledge brings him nigh, close. You know my thought. Though you sit in the heavenlies on your throne afar off, God came near. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are not superficially and are intimately acquainted with all my... God is intimately acquainted with all our ways. I'm famous. 
by the one who matters most. The world as an audience of potential admirers will leave you too driven perhaps to something to deaden the painful awareness of your self-doubt and inadequacy. But fame in the eyes of an audience of one is all that matters. Recognition hunger need not be the case. It can be satisfied to overflow. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Listen to me. Listen to me. Give me your attention. Can you hear me? Give me. And God says, oh, yes. Even before you verbalize your words, I've attended to you. Oh, you have my undivided attention. I'm not distracted. I am not doing three things while the fourth thing of listening to you is added to the pot. When you talk to me, I have nothing more to do but listen. I know you. Wow. You have enclosed me, think of this, behind and before and laid your hand upon me and the psalmist then says, stop a second, wait a minute. He says, such knowledge, such insight, such awareness, this is what he said, is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain to it. I cannot comprehend it. You can be known by Almighty God. Not just with an intellectual, factual knowledge. But with a loving intensity to be close. To be in a relationship. Do you realize that the Lord Jesus Christ has saved you from despair? Do you realize he saved you from a mad quest for fame and approval and popularity and celebrity status? And as someone said, you know, you're 15 minutes of fame. Do you realize you don't have to do something crazy on a reality show? Do you realize you don't have to do something horrific to get your name in the paper? Do you realize he knows my name? Transcendent deity is near. Solomon only lamented the harsh reality of life under the sun. But life in an intimate relationship with the God who dwells above the sun and who came into our life experience, there's no need to despair when you have that relationship. Though everyone ignore, disapprove of, and fail to appreciate you or me, we have the approval, the attention, the affirmation, 
the positive regard, the love, the recognition from Almighty God, who is also Abba Father. He didn't just save us from the presence and penalty and power of sin. He saved us from a mad quest to win the approval of the masses in order to fulfill the emptiness within. Known by the one who matters. Father, do you remember? Of course. You number the hairs on my head. You know my thoughts, my words before I speak them. You have ordained every day for me when as yet there was not one of them. They're all written in your book. Do you mind me telling me, uh, me telling you? I'm just tickled to death to announce I'm special. And you have nothing to do with it. The giver of life took me up and into his family, knows my name, hears my prayers, will never leave me or forsake me, knows me from afar. And one day, when I see him face to face, he won't be two strangers meeting for the first time. It'll simply be a continuation of what one could have now. For eternal life is to know God. Do you know him who is so interested in knowing you? Do you know him? You don't unless you see how he has become enfleshed, embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. You can't know him, don't you see? He's above the sun. We're under the sun. We need him to enter in. He did in the person of Jesus Christ. And he reveals the Father. Otherwise, you're left with guesswork, foolishness about who God is. You can't know him. You can only guess Jesus revealed him. Don't you want to be known by this God? Then know him as your personal Savior. And then commence your life together. A waltz through this world where everybody is mobile. Everyone is moving. The family is breaking down. Nobody has time for anyone. Nobody pays attention. We can't even sit still long enough to listen to one another. You can't even find someone to make eye contact with you and to hear you out. Everyone is multitasking. But you take Jesus as your Savior. And he'll show you the way into the bosom of the Father who will say, come anytime. No appointment necessary. <laughs> I'm ready for you to call on me. You want to talk more about that? We'll be around as we conclude the service in the next few minutes to chat with you. We know how you can know and be known by Almighty God. Lord Jesus, how good it is to be Christ one's followers of you.
how grateful we are uh, to you for being the mediator between us and Almighty God, with whom we are, we were, strangers, alienated, but now embraced. So to know you as personal Savior means a lot. You have saved us from sin and you have saved us from loneliness and emptiness and despair and you have satisfied our recognition hunger and you say I know the plans I have for you I know everything about I know you wow you will never lose sight of us you can single us out in the crowd Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you know us with a love that will not let us go. And we yearn for others to know you as well. So we pray even tonight, Lord Jesus, you may lay your hands on one or two who open their hearts to you as Savior. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.